You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Let's open up the Bible to Mark chapter 4 for our reading today. So starting at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Merry Christmas, City on a Hill. Uh, I hope you've had an amazing few days. I hope it's been full of food, uh, family, friends, hopefully lazing about and doing not too much. Uh, And I hope you're enjoying this week. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year because this is that week where you kind of don't have a lot on between Christmas and New Year. You get to see people. But it's also this moment where we have like this forced like pause, stop, consider what just happened in the last 12 months. And, you know, you have that conversation about what's next you're going to look like. What's my resolutions? I mean, I don't know about you, but I was reflecting even in preparing for today uh, about New Year's resolutions and ones that I've made over the over the years. So most of them are fairly uninspiring and non-exciting, like, you know, I'm not going to eat McDonald's this year, I'm going to exercise more this year, those sorts of things. But uh, in racking my brains, I can't think of a single New Year's resolution that I have ever kept for a whole 12 months. You know, there's been patches. There was this one year where I went, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every day, I'm going to exercise, then read my Bible, and then get into the day. I probably went for about five months and I think that's probably my PB when it comes to New Year's resolutions, but I love this week anyway, even though I don't always hold the resolutions. It's just, it's a gift when we actually stop and pause and reflect uh, and and begin to ask God for for what we want and what we're hoping uh, might come in the next 12 months. But this year feels different to any other year. Dare I say it, it feels unprecedented as we stop and consider what we have just been through in the last 12 months. Uh, I'm living on the Gold Coast and so uh, even uh, I can't imagine what it's been like for people living in Melbourne and living in different parts of the world over the last 12 months, stuck in houses for months on end. There's people losing jobs. There is so much that has happened and I wonder as you stop and pause and and think about the last year, uh, how you feel. Uh, are you intimidated by, by what you've been through and maybe what, what might be ahead? Uh, are you excited by you know just dreaming that maybe you're going to wake up in four days' time, January 1, and it's just all been a bad dream and it's all okay again when we hit 2021? Uh, I wonder, are you uh, exhausted after just this constant cycle of uncertainty and change? It's, uh, it is a difficult thing this year more than any other time uh, to think through uh, what has just happened, 
uh, and what is waiting for us in the future as well. I want to take you into a story in the Gospel of Mark, a story uh, where Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling together and the disciples find themselves overwhelmed. They find themselves in this situation where they don't know what's going to happen. In fact, they think death is what's going to happen to them. And I want to show you what they learn as they encounter Jesus in that moment. Uh, Let me take you to Mark chapter 4 and read to you from verse 35 where it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake where they were. And he says, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them into the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. Now, they're they're traveling. Jesus has been teaching. He's been uh, doing his ministry to all these different people. And he's basically like, look, let's take time out. Let's jump in the boats that are here. Let's travel across to the lake. Uh, Half his disciples were professional fishermen. They're capable when they get on the water. They know how to use boats. This was a smart mode of transport. It meant they could get away from everyone. But listen to what happens in verse 37. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so the boat was already filling. Now that's kind of a tame Bible way of saying this boat is beginning to sink. The waves are so big, they're crashing over the sides, it's filling with water and these fishermen are beginning to fear for their lives. They think the end is coming, it's all over. And to add insult to injury, listen to where we find Jesus in verse 38. He was in the stern asleep on a cushion. This is their moment of need. These hardened fishermen are are freaking out. They're afraid. And their leader is just taking a nap. He's got other things to do. Uh, it's, It's almost as if he doesn't care. It's almost as if it doesn't matter to him how afraid they are and what's going on for them. And so uh, they wake him with this question. What are you doing, Jesus? There in verse 38 again, it says, They woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're genuinely afraid that this could be the end of their lives. And this man who has called them to follow him is napping at the end of the boat. And they ask the question, don't you care? Doesn't it matter to you what's going on for us? Why aren't you helping us in this situation? And there's something right about expecting Jesus to help, isn't there? There's something right about expecting that God will help in our hour of need. I mean, God is powerful and God is good and he's caring. He's this good shepherd and he's loving and he cares for his sheep. And so even for you and I in a year like this, when so much has gone wrong and so many things have caused pain and so many people are suffering, it shouldn't surprise us that more than ever, people are turning to God in prayer. They're going to him because rightly they presume that he should care that he should help, that he, he should have the power to help them. Because when we come to positions and situations in our life where our capacity is limited, we reach the end of ourselves, we obviously and inevitably reach for somebody else who has more power that they might actually help us in our time of need. And so again, in droves, people are turning to God in prayer this year, sometimes out of desperation. They, they have no other option. They just need his help. Sometimes out of exasperation, they're angry with God. Why have you allowed this year, God? Why have you allowed me to lose my job or to get sick or or whatever it might be? But always we find that when we get to the end of ourselves, we need to reach for something else. 
I have uh, two sons and uh, my youngest son's name is Hudson. Uh, he is five years old. He is full of energy. He is fiercely independent. Uh, but something that I've noticed about Hudson just recently is uh, he's a tough kid. He's a little uh, kind of muscle bound. He looks like a bodybuilder already as a five-year-old. But when he gets hurt, his hurt usually gets expressed as anger. And so, you know, if his brother attacks him, then he lashes out with anger. If, uh, you know, he's hurt by, by something else, he'll attack that thing. If he's on the swing and he falls off, it's the swing's fault and the swing will feel his wrath. But every now and then there's a moment where he actually hurts himself. So maybe he's not paying attention and he bumps his head on something or he's walking through the hallway and he kicks his toe and I watch his face in that moment and, and the initial pain turns into sadness and the tears start to flow which quickly flips to anger but there's nowhere for that anger to go and so he finds an outlet and whose fault is it in that moment in, in his mind? It's dad's fault because dad who's supposed to protect me didn't protect me. He doesn't feel like it's his fault, like he should have done something else. In that moment when he can't fix what's wrong and he can't blame someone else for what's wrong, he reaches for somebody who's supposed to be looking after him and he lashes out at me. And on one level, I actually love that because that means he sees me as someone who's supposed to protect him and provide for him. And I think that's behind the way that so many people reach for prayer in moments of pain like we've experienced this year in 2020. Maybe this picture in this story of a storm where the boat is being swamped is exactly how you have been feeling. And so there's a part of you in your anger that this is not your fault. You didn't put yourself in this situation. And so rightly, we turn to God and we say, God, what are you doing in all of this? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? And that's where the disciples are. They don't ask for Jesus' help when they wake him up. They don't say, fix this. They just accuse him. Don't you care? Don't we matter? But listen to Jesus' response. It's there in verse 39. It says, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Now, you might have heard this story before. You might go, yeah, I get it. Jesus does miracles. He calms a storm. But no, 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 slow down and just catch the significance of what just happened. A storm sufficient to scare professional fishermen, Jesus stands up and just speaks. Peace, be still. Three words and waves settle. Wind disappears. Suddenly the ocean is eerily calm and peaceful. Just wrap your head around that power. I mean, the disciples are left dumbfounded and intimidated by this one who stands in front of them with power over nature. I mean, and remember, these disciples are the guys who've been traveling with Jesus. They've seen his power. They've heard him teaching. They've seen him heal people. He's healed people of leprosy and people who are lame. They've seen him. They, they know him. But this is a new level even for them. This power to just speak and have the very elements of nature submit to his authority and do exactly as he said. And so they are left floundering and they are like, who is this? 
for them standing in a new situation that they've seen him work with sickness they've seen him work with people but in a new situation where the enemy is not sickness it's not opposition it's not people working in wrong ways it's nature itself suddenly they are faced with a storm and they are filled with fear because they don't know Jesus power to deal with this that they don't have any anything to base or, or or be confident in because all I've seen, they've seen miracles, but but not miracles over nature itself. Now, we need to be really cautious when we look at Jesus' miracles and, and try and presume to know why God does certain things and acts in certain ways and situations when he doesn't actually say why he's doing what he's doing. But I think as we look at this story, one thing that we can say for sure is that Jesus is showing his disciples a little bit more of who he is. They've been invited in to travel with him, to see him in action. And this is a moment that they get to experience firsthand in a way that no one else does. Why? Because Jesus wants them to understand who he is. This is the moment. Without this moment, they don't know his power over nature. But because of this storm, they begin to get a glimpse of the power that is held in the words of Jesus. See, behind their, their fear in this moment is this implicit belief that yet they might be unsure whether or not Jesus can help them, but maybe more importantly, there's this question of, will he help them? I mean, they need to be saved. They're fearing for their lives. They say, we're going to perish. But, but the, the question for them, the fear for them is, is Jesus going to save them? Does he want to save them? Is he willing to save them? And, and Jesus' response to them is, is a rebuke. It's not just settle down, guys. It's going to be okay. I can deal with this. He challenges them. He rebukes them there in verse 40 and 41. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I mean, feel the sting of that question. The logical answer to why they're afraid is the storm. Waves, that's, that's what got them concerned. But Jesus isn't asking the disciples, what has made you afraid? He's asking, why are you still afraid? Jesus saw the storm. He knows that's their issues. He would have felt the water lapping around his feet in the boat, even as he was taking his nap. He knows what their issue is. But what he wants to know is, why are you afraid of this thing? Why is this storm enough to make you scared? Where is your faith? This is a challenge moment for them because Jesus has arrived and called them to follow him. He has made promises. He has begun to show them that he is sent from God, that he is here to do powerful things. And essentially what he's saying to them is, don't tell me about your storm. Tell your storm about me. Understand the power that lives in me that God has given me by the Holy Spirit and understand that this storm is subject to me. I am the authority. I am the power and I'm here with you so you are safe. See, with this question, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you don't need to be afraid. He's not saying there's not a storm, but he's saying despite the storm, you don't have to fear because I am. Am with you. There's rebuke in there, but this is a question that you and I need to reflect on this year. 
It's a question we need to actually try and answer because as we think through this year and the genuine pain that many of us have experienced in different ways, and I don't want to presume what you have been through, but I know even in my own life how challenging it has been to walk through a year like this where you can't plan more than two or three days ahead without having something thrown up that changes your plans or or things that matter to you taken away. As we look at the year ahead, if we feel fear, if we feel trepidation, if we feel anxiety because of what we've been through, Jesus wants to ask us, why are you afraid? Where is your fear? Sorry, where is your faith? See, now faith is is not about the one who has faith. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, try harder at your faith. Faith is about the one who, in whom you place your faith. Faith is about its objects. Take, for example, right now, around the whole world, we're hanging out for the moment when someone will announce an effective vaccine for COVID-19. We've got different countries racing for this, different companies saying they're going to be the one who produces it. And whatever you think about vaccines, I don't care for the point of this illustration. The issue is when that vaccine comes out, if a functional vaccine, an effective vaccine comes out, How much you have faith in that vaccine in no way impacts how effective that vaccine will be. So you as the person who brings the faith to the conversation actually doesn't contribute to the thing that you're trusting. And equally, if you don't have faith in the vaccine, but it's an effective vaccine, it will still work. See, the rebuke here, the call from Jesus is not that you have to produce faith. He's not saying to the disciples, try harder at not being afraid. He's saying, look at what's in front of you. When he says, where is your faith? He's essentially saying, open your eyes. Understand who I am, the power I have and what I have done and will do. See, faith flows from an encounter with Jesus. As we look into the year 2021, as we reflect on the year that has been, the call to us here is to have faith not by trying hard or being tough or being stoic or anything like that, but to actually open our eyes to Jesus in the year that was so that we might have confidence to walk into the year that is ahead. We need to encounter, just like the disciples did, the power of Jesus. Power over storms, power over nature, power to heal people, power to make a difference. Now, There is nothing in your life or my life that Jesus does not have authority over, that he he does not have control over. So he can save you even if your boat feels like it's beginning to sink at this very moment. Even if this is a year where you have entertained the thought that this is too hard and you can't go on, what you need to understand is that Jesus is powerful enough for your life and your circumstance and your pain and your suffering. He shows it time and time and time again in his life, but more than just powerful enough, it's not just that he can, that would be a great start, but for us to have faith, to have confidence as we embark on the year ahead, we need to have confidence that not only can he, but he will. In fact, not just he will, he wants to, he desires to save, that that's part of who he is and how he works, but here's the challenge. When Jesus comes to save, when he promises that he can and will save his people, it's not always going to be in the way that we expect and maybe not even in the way that we want. Again, I want to 
just acknowledge that as somebody who lives on the Gold Coast, my experience of the last 12 months probably looks like a holiday to what some of you have been through who are watching this this morning. And so I want to share with you a little bit of my journey this year and my challenge of fear and faith when it comes to following Jesus. Uh, but I'm not showing you this so that you might feel sorry for me. I'm not sharing this as a, a comparison for what you've been through, but I'm sharing it so that you might see a little bit of the steps that God has led me on so that maybe you might begin to experience the freedom from fear that is offered when we trust in Jesus. So some of you may know, some of you may know that this year we planted City on a Hill Gold Coast. This is something that God laid on my heart uh, a number of years ago. Uh, it's been a, a really difficult journey to get to this point. It's taken a number of big steps out of our comfort zone. My wife, Sally, and our two boys, we left our home in Sydney. We left our friends. We left our church family that we've been part of. And we were sent out to, to launch this new work to reach people on the Gold Coast. Now, if I'm honest, uh, I was reading a great book recently that says, if you plant a church, there's a good thing that two, good chance that two things are true of you. One, you've got a burden for lost people and two, you're arrogant. If I'm honest, it's true. Now, I don't want to be arrogant, but there's this bit that says, hey, I can do this. I can reach people. These people need to know Jesus and all those other churches aren't reaching them, but I can reach them. And so I hit the ground this year in January, exhausted already, but ready to do this because I can do this. And so we started gathering people, we started casting vision, we were praying, we were inviting people in, we were trying to meet our neighbors, we were on mission and, and momentum started to build and I started to think, wow, look what's happening, this is so exciting. Uh, and then we finally found a venue that we were going to meet in. We had our biggest week ever as we moved into this venue. It might not sound exciting, but for us, it was, you know, earth shattering. We had a whopping 38 people come together for a gathering around God's word. And I was so excited and I was floating that Sunday night thinking, wow, look at what God is doing. And then literally the next day or so, COVID began to get kind of serious. Uh, we managed to have one more gathering in this venue that we'd organized, but by then everyone was so terrified of what this was going to be and what it was going to look like. I think we halved for that second week. Uh, a week later, we shut down like the rest of the world. And so here I am trying to launch a church in a world where we can't gather for church and we're doing kind of digital church. We've only been living in the city for a couple of months. We don't know anyone. And I bottomed out. I spent the better part of a week just feeling depressed, uh, feeling hopeless, feeling useless, and pleading with God to fix this, to change this, to, to actually change the circumstance. I'm like, God, I'm here to do your work, clear a path, make this possible. And God's answer in his kindness was to do the exact opposite, just to leave me sitting there long enough to recognize that this was not about me. That's not what I asked him to do. That's not what I wanted when I went to him in prayer. But what he was saying to me is, I am powerful enough and I am good enough, but I have something better than building a church where you are arrogant enough to think that you did it. God was kind enough to love me in a severe way. It's the way I've come to describe it over the course of this year, that it's his severe kindness sometimes, which enables me to see that he is more loving and that he is better to me than I would be if I was left to choose what I get and how my life looks.
Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the Lord's discipline and the gift that that is, that it's the, the discipline of a loving father. And no discipline is pleasant at the time, but what it does is produce a harvest of righteousness. It transforms us. It equips us for more than just getting what we want in the moment. Yeah, there's no minimizing the pain of what I experience. And again, I, I don't know what you've been through in the last 12 months, but I, I know there's been pain. I know there's been suffering. I know there's been fear. And, and this does not minimize that in any way, shape or form. But sometimes God gives us these moments of storm so that our hands might be emptied and that we might be forced to open our eyes to see what's right in front of us, to see that God is powerful, but also that he has a plan for us that might be better than the plan that we've got for ourselves, that he wants to do a work in us that might mean more than just making the next season of your life comfortable, but that actually what he wants to do is transform you in preparation for an eternity in heaven with him. And most things like this require some level of discomfort for us to see the kind of transformation and joy that God has for us. Sometimes God will show up with the power to transform your situation just like he did for the disciples in Mark 4. Sometimes he will walk into your life and say, peace, be still, and the situation will transform. Roadblocks will get out of the way. Life will be comfortable and easy and joyful and fruitful. But sometimes, and dare I say it, I think often he will show up and say, peace be still to you. He will tell you to stay in the situation you're in. He will be present with you and he will be enough to give you strength to keep going, to give you joy even in your pain. And he will be there to guarantee that you are not by yourself and he will be with you till the end, even when it feels hopeless. One of the gifts of being a Christian is that in the ultimate moment of storm, God wins. I want you to try and transport yourself back to the very first Easter as one of the disciples. So you've survived these moments of crazy storms where God has delivered and he has revealed himself. And so you have grown in confidence that this guy can be trusted. You've, you've got faith for you know, sickness and storm and, and it's just getting, you're getting more confident and more bold. And then you get to Easter and this guy that you're following who is supposed to be the leader and savior of the world gets arrested. And that's scary. And so you kind of take a backward step and you're not sure what to do with this. And then he goes to trial and he's not even found guilty, but somehow he ends up on a cross being executed. And every single one of the disciples in that moment, out of fear, withdrew and abandoned Jesus. It is the the moment that looked to the whole world like Jesus was defeated, like God had lost control, like evil was winning, like everything was wrong. And yet we know now that as Jesus hung on the cross and spoke the words, it is finished, he was achieving the salvation that we also desperately needed. If we had our way, we wouldn't have allowed him. We wouldn't have been able to endure even seeing him on the cross. And yet because God is not just powerful, but he is good beyond our wildest imaginations, Jesus endured the cross so that you and I might know forgiveness, might know the confidence that God is not just powerful, but for us and with us and loving us every step of the way. 
And that moment where Jesus dies on the cross and rises to new life and proves that he is victorious out of the mess of being arrested and crucified becomes the basis for you and I to have faith even in the middle of a global pandemic, even in the the precipice of an unknown future, not knowing what the years ahead will look like, we can have confidence because Jesus is alive, which means God is more powerful than anything that life will throw at you in the year ahead. But more than that, because God gave us Jesus, we have confidence that not just God can, but God will. One of my favorite verses in scripture comes in Romans 8, where we're told that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God has given the most costly gift, his precious son, Jesus, for you, which means he will withhold no good thing for you, which means when you are in those storms, when you are in those dark seasons, when you are in pandemic, when you are in lockdown, when you're in unemployment, when you're in loneliness, when you are in anxiety, God is with you, God is for you, God is in control, and God is seeking to show you more of him. So that instead of just giving you a good set of circumstances, he will give you something better. He will give you himself in such a way that no matter what circumstance you're in, you don't need to be afraid. You can have faith. I remember when I was a child uh, learning to surf. Uh, my parents would take me to the beach. I was one of five kids, if you can imagine. My parents were crazy. Four of us were like consecutive years. I, I don't know how they survived. I've got two and I'm drowning. But they would take us to the beach and they were pretty strict about what we could and couldn't do. And so, um, you know, I remember we were allowed to kind of paddle if, you know, we weren't uh, being supervised. We could kind of splash up to our knees, but you couldn't go too deep. And uh, we'd have a lot of fun, but, you know, safety there was about rules and what we could and couldn't do. But the safest I ever felt at the beach was when dad was actually teaching us how to surf. So dad would put us on the surfboard, he'd take us out into the waves. And now I don't know if you've ever been on a surfboard, but when you're lying down on a surfboard, a wave that's this big is overhead, especially when you're a kid. And so I'd be sitting there and, and kind of paddling. I could barely reach over the side of the board. So I'm just kind of barely moving the water. And I'd see these waves coming. And my first reaction was fear. I'd be really worried about what was going to happen to me. And, and dad would notice the fear and he would pick up the board with me on it, just lift it up. The wave would go underneath and he'd put me back down. And then we would go out and find a small wave and push me in. And as I got a little bit older, a little bit more confident, sometimes instead of lifting me up over the wave, he'd hold me so that the wave hit me, but so that I didn't get washed away. And increasingly, it meant that I was confident whether the waves were this big or this big, not because of the size of the waves, but because dad was there with me. And I knew that if he was with me, I was safe. Whether he was lifting me over or forcing me through, he was teaching me and strengthening me so that I would be ready to face the waves by myself one day. I understand that as we come to the end of 2020, the desire of most of us is just to wish it good riddance, to escape it, to move on from it, to forget about it, and to beg God to give us something different in the year ahead. I want to challenge you to pause this week. Before you jump into that hope and that prayer, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that prayer, but I want to challenge you to slow down and ask the question, what has God been showing you in the last 12 months? What's he been trying to teach you? How has he been trying to reveal just how good and loving he is? And if it takes a storm for you to get more of that confidence in his power and his love for you, 
wouldn't more storms be a good thing? Now, I'm not saying pray for storms. I'm not saying ask for pain. That's, that's masochistic. That's not Christian. But maybe a prayer for 2021, instead of for safety and comfort, maybe a prayer is that God would open our eyes to Him more, whatever it takes. Maybe a prayer that, that God would be honored by, that would reflect the mess that we've been through and what he's been teaching us and maybe is still teaching us is, God, we just want more of you. Help us to see that you are with us and you are for us so that whatever comes in 2021, we can trust and not fear. We can be bold and obedient and secure and joyful, even in the pain that might come. And it could be that you're sitting at home today and you've actually never trusted Jesus. You, you don't even, faith's this word you've heard, but, but you've never actually said, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to trust my life to this Jesus. I want to stand in the storms and know someone is with me. I, I, I want to I be a Christian. Why not start your 2021 like that? Why not right now, just wherever you are watching this, at your computer, on your phone, at home, wherever you are, right now, just, just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. You can... Uh, Send your, your details to the, the text that is on the screen. Pray someone's going to get in touch with you. We'd love to help you take that first step because the amazing gift of faith, like we've already said, is that it's not about what you bring. It's about what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. And so the invitation for you, if you don't know Jesus, is to find the peace that Jesus spoke into that storm, to find peace in whatever you're going through. And if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you walking into 2021. What Jesus offers, what Jesus promises is not comfort and ease in the year ahead, but that he will be there to give you peace no matter what. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we just want to bring before you the many people across our whole world who right now are living in the thick of the storm. Uh, we thank you for the ways you have protected us here in Australia. We thank you that even uh, as Victoria has come out of its lockdown and, and second wave that uh, ultimately we have not suffered in the way that many people have. But yet, Lord, you know the situations and circumstances of every individual. You're a God who cares. And so, Father, we just beg in this moment that you would show us how you have been with us in those moments. God, I pray that you would show us as we look back to the cross and Jesus, as we reflect on Christmas and the fact that you came. God, give us a confidence that is bigger than a, an easy set of circumstances. Give us a confidence that comes from the fact that Jesus is risen and the fact that you gave him and you withhold no good gift. Father, I pray in the year ahead that you would not protect us from storm, but that you would use whatever might come to open our eyes to you that we might know the deeper joy of being loved unconditionally. We might know the secure foundation of having you with us and knowing that you will finish the work you've begun and you will walk us every step of the way until we are in heaven with you. Father, fill us with the peace that only you can bring in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.